This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The Annie Fry Show YouTube live chat poll of the day is sponsored by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. Right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. This is the Annie Fry Show. I followed the instructions of my conference who were insisting that we tackle this in October. I mean, it's actually our side that wanted to tackle the border issue. We started it. Obviously, with a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate, our negotiators had to deal with them. And James Langford, under those situations, did a remarkable job to pick off the Border Council, which supported President Trump, certainly underscores that it was a quality product that that particular union felt would make progress toward making things better. But as I said earlier, things have changed over the last four months, and it's been made perfectly clear by the Speaker that he wouldn't take it up even if we sent it to him. And so I think that's probably why most of our members think we ought to have opposition tomorrow. We'll see. And then move on with the rest of the supplement. The leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, talking about the process that led into creating this bill. Senator Langford from Oklahoma, of course, being the lead Republican on the issue. And your senator here in the state of Missouri had this to say. This whole episode reminds me of that scene from the first vacation where Chevy Chase goes to buy his car and Eugene Levy comes out and uh, it's not the car he ordered. He brings out the metallic pea green family truckster and Chevy Chase is like, this is not the car. And Eugene Levy says, you think you hate it now, but wait till you drive it. So when you saw the language, (laughs) this is what we were warning about. The language is actually worse than anybody could have possibly imagined. 
So I was listening to Kilmeade on the way into work today, and I heard Annie McCarthy talking about the bill and, and really ripping it to shreds and going back over and over and over again on that idea that the things that need to be done immediately are within the palm of the executive's hand right now with executive orders. And that is, in fact, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Why is it that Joe Biden hasn't been able to do anything about this border issue? I, I think the most obvious, honest answer is because Joe Biden hasn't considered this to be a crisis. The southern border right now is not a crisis for the president from an, uh, a policy standpoint. The southern border is an absolute political crisis for Joe Biden, which is why we hear him say this yesterday. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Ironic that they only have a majority and a slim one, I might add, in the House of Representatives, yet they are the ones who are somehow responsible for this open border. Uh, Eric Schmidt, who we just heard in that clip, talking about family vacation and how disastrous this bill is. The senator joins us now. He is a United States senator representing Missouri. Senator, thank you for coming on with us th this afternoon. It's great to have you here. Yeah, great to be back, Annie. Um, I want to give you the open floor right now to talk about this border bill. We heard that clip, that, that hilarious clip about Christmas, or excuse me, family vacation, <laughs> Chevy Chase. Uh, it, it seems as though you're not a big fan of it. I can't imagine that you're going to be a yes vote on it. What do the Missourians need to understand about what was put in this bill? Well, the first thing is that Joe Biden has every authority right now he needs under the law to secure the border. He just doesn't want to. That's the reality. It's the dirty little secret, and I'm not sure how much of a secret it really is. On day one, he came in and undid all of the successful policies, like Remain in Mexico. He could do that right now, but he reflexively eliminated that because it was you know, something Donald Trump did. Um, he has the money to actually build the border wall that's been appropriated. He was literally paying contractors $140,000 a day, a day, to not construct the border wall. And then the, the abuse of this parole process. Parole's meant, you know, essentially, you know, people can individually be let in or something, but he's, he's allowing people categorically because of the country they're from to just come in. And it's, a, it's they're just being released into the interior of the United States, not just a few people, millions of people. So he's clearly violating existing law. So he has all the authority he needs. But as it relates to the, this so-called border bill um, specifically, there's two really big issues. One is uh, it creates a outside of the judicial process. If you're coming here seeking asylum, these what they're referred to as asylum officers, um, you might as well call them amnesty officers, who would be given new authority to essentially grant citizenship on the spot at the border, which will be its own magnet. They've allowed work permits immediately. That doesn't exist under existing law. So what, you, what you're telling the cartels is bring more people here, tell them exactly what to say, and they'll be citizens. Um, it's even worse than catch and release, and catch and release doesn't even go away under this bill. And then secondly, um, it eliminates the jurisdiction of states like Texas, who've actually traditionally dealt with these issues, you know, for lawsuits to be filed in Texas, in that, in, in that circuit, the Fifth Circuit, and removes all those cases to the D.C. Circuit, which is traditionally very, very liberal. So if you were creating a, like a white paper for some open borders think tank, if you got just those two things in, it would be a huge victory for you. They got that in and a lot more. So this bill is a total disaster. Um, it's, it's dead. I mean, we're going to be voting on that here soon this afternoon. I think that's dead. We've successfully, I think the people have weighed in too in a short amount of time. I mean, they did this negotiation, Annie, in secret for months. 
everybody's locked out. They unveil the language, and immediately uh, we were able to recognize a lot of the problems. But this is part of Schumer's game plan, right, is to kind of put all this stuff together, give you minimal time to review it. You can't amend it, and you're supposed to vote on it. And I think um, we're going to successfully defeat this today. We're speaking with Senator Eric Schmidt. I want to ask you about why now? Why is uh, President Biden coming out yesterday and saying we have a problem at the border, and if it doesn't get fixed, I want you to understand it's the Republicans' fault. We've heard him say repeatedly that the border isn't a crisis for years now. How come all of a sudden it's a problem that he is big enough that he can put on Republicans? Because he knows this is an albatross. Um, there's 9 million people here that, that shouldn't be here who've come here illegally. And that's because of Joe Biden's policy. So he's desperate. He sees the polling. He understands that we had a secure border under President Trump. Uh, you know, President Trump's going to be the nominee. They're going to be facing off. And you're going to have a contrast in records, right? Booming economy, economy secure border, energy dominant versus none of those things right now. So Joe Biden's pretty desperate. Uh, I, you know, I think they ought to probably create like a drinking game every time he says extremist MAGA Republican. Everyone would be drunk before noon. It's just obnoxious. But he's going to keep doing his thing with this. But the American people are not buying it. They understand this. He's upside down on this issue. Uh, and he, again, if he actually cared about it and was willing to stand up to the left, which he's not because he's in this crowd now, he could secure the border tomorrow because the cartels who are moving people they, they see the signals, and when they know that it's catch and release, and a lot of people are getting court dates, Annie, they come here, they're, they're seeking asylum, it's it totally bogus claims, 9 out of 10 are bogus, but they're given a court date sometime in the 2030s. In the 2030s. So, you know, the, the idea is that they're just going to, you know, that they'll create a big enough problem that you create this path to, to amnesty, which is what the ultimate goal is here. And, uh, and so Joe, Joe Biden's, Joe Biden's a, a willing participant in all this, and it's a total mess. We've seen, uh, we've seen him, the number is 94, I think, executive orders that he signed in his first 100 days to undo what Donald Trump had going on border policy at the southern border. If you are advising him right now, the illegal authority that the president of the United States has, regardless of who controls the Senate, who controls the House, the president alone, what could he do right now to secure this border? Remain in Mexico. Um, because, uh, you know, it gets thrown out or, or the, the term, but for people listening, essentially, it made Mexico the waiting room, right? If you were going to get an asylum hearing in court, which you were, um, and these are supposed to be individual adjudications, you had to wait in Mexico. You weren't just released into the interior of the United States. And that's what they reversed. And that's why we have the big problem, because if people know they can come here and they got a court date eight years from now, of course, more people are going to come here and you're never going to see them again. Right. You're never going to not checking in with anybody. There's no anyway. So you would you would reinstate remain in Mexico. You would stop abusing parole, which allows, again, you should be turning people away as, a, as opposed to paroling them into the United States again hoping for a court date. Uh, you'd finish the wall. Um, those are three things you could do right now that would close the border effectively, right? You'd still have to deal with certain issues. But what this bill did is it didn't fix any of those things, right? What they did was is created a new pathway, an express lane, essentially, for people to come with these, again, these um, um, asylum agents, these asylum officers who could grant citizenship effectively on the spot. And by the way, those are the true believers, Annie. The people that go do that job, they don't go do that job to tell people no. They believe 
believe that everybody's entitled to come here because we're all global citizens. It's a mess. It is. Senator Eric Schmidt with us. Last question before we let you go. Uh, Governor Parson in the state of Missouri joined Texas in their battle with the uh, federal government, President Biden, on protecting our southern border. What are your thoughts on these states that have banded together uh, to go in the face of what the Biden administration just simply isn't getting done? I mean, I think it's encouraging, right? I think um, every state's a border state. When I was attorney general, I mean, we talked about some of these issues, too, the, the fentanyl and the human trafficking. It doesn't stop in El Paso. I mean, it ends up everywhere, including, you know, in the St. Louis area. So we know that for a fact. So I think uh, I applaud Governor Parson for doing that, committing those resources. It's sad that that actually has to happen because the federal government does all kinds of stuff it shouldn't do. One of the things it's supposed to do is actually to have a secure border. And when you have a president that's willing to essentially open up the gates and throw his hands up, um, this is what you get. And so, you know, it's up to Texas now to defend their own border. And that court decision was interesting. They basically said that, you know, Texas, that that the federal agents could cut down the razor wire. It didn't prohibit Texas from doing more things or other states doing things. So you're going to, this is going to continue to play out in court. It's sad that we're at where we're at, but I'm glad that, you know, thoughtful people are coming together to, to look for alternatives as opposed to Joe Biden's policies. Well, Senator Schmidt, we thank you for fighting the fight and also for the time today. We're very grateful for it. Anytime, Annie. Take care. Thank you as well. Bye-bye. Senator Eric Schmidt of the state of Missouri. And always good when you can get a Chevy Chase reference in when you're trying to explain something. <laughs> I got to catch. I, I, I think I've seen, I, I remember watching the vacation movies, like, <laughs> back then. I probably yeah. didn't understand more than 50% of what was written into those movies when I was the age that I was watching them. Um, but it, it seems as though, you, you heard the senator say it right there, this bill's going nowhere. You know what else is going nowhere, at least as of last night? This is, this is pretty amazing when I w- was watching these news stories come across my phone. Yeah, on impeachment, last night was a setback, but democracy is messy. We live in a time of divided government. Uh, we have a razor-thin uh, margin here, and every vote counts. Sometimes uh, when you're counting votes and people show up when they're not expected to be in the building, it changes the equation. But listen, we have a duty and a responsibility to take care of this issue. We have to hold the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security accountable. Mayorkas needs to be held accountable. The Biden administration needs to be held accountable. And we will pass those articles of impeachment. Uh, we'll, we'll do it on the next round. What happened, man? You didn't, he just said there when people were in the building that you didn't expect to be in the building. Yes. So what the theory is, is that the Democrats were hiding how many Democrats would actually be there to vote. And then they're like, oh, yeah. So they thought they the Republicans thought they had the votes. And then the Democrats were like, surprise, we actually had more people here than we thought. And then it was enough. Imagine being the whip and seeing those two or three people walk in the door and go, I am in deep. Yeah. Bologna sausage. Yeah. Uh, So my understanding is they're going to just vote on it again when Steve Scalise gets back. I think that's the plan. Oh, my. (laughs) George Santos tweeting out last night a picture of him standing up in the balcony, kind of all by himself. Was that the day he got voted out? Probably, yeah. And he just said, miss me yet? I'm like, <laughs> oh. He has a point. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's funny when, it's funny, it's funny for me. Like, amusing funny. I actually chuckle watching people on the left uh, try to kind of fumble over the idea that George Santos is making the case that he should still be there. And there are Republicans like Matt Gates who are making the case that 
George Santos. As I'm watching there. that board and it's 215 to 215, I have never missed George Santos more. Like, and what irony that the <laughs> New York Republicans who drove Santos out of Congress, who are watching the children in their state being driven out of schools so that those schools can become migrant housing centers, that now we don't get to execute on an impeachment trial of Mayorkas because they threw George Santos out. I also wondered, like, wouldn't it have been nice to still have Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives? Never thought you'd hear me say that. But Kevin McCarthy, after being dislodged as speaker, took his marbles and went home. He would have been a reliable vote for impeachment. But if he wasn't speaker, he wasn't willing to stick around. And I think that the the errant expulsion of Santos and the abject selfishness of Kevin McCarthy contributed to this result as much as the three Republican members who, who voted no sincere. The abject selfishness of who? Kevin McCarthy, says Matt Gates. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. The circus is in town. As my dad would say, put a cent on uh, put a tent on the circus. <laughs> um, we don't play by the same rules as the Democrats do. Look at what the Democrats are okay with their members doing. Menendez, he's hanging out in the yep. Senate. He's fine. Yep. So I, we'll we'll see people from the left be like, oh, now they want George Santos, the liar, to be back in the yeah, House. Oh, yeah. that- uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the Senate. Well, is- it's complicated, but yes, the Senate is so close. That's why George Menendez is still or Bob. Bob the Menendez- House is so close. It was two fifteen to two fifteen. But I mean, it's just to your point that that's what Democrats care about. It's not about like the integrity of the office. It's about the votes, and so Democrats wanted Santos out because the vote was close, and they want Menendez there because the vote is close. Because it's always about the numbers, and they get their way both times. Yeah. What the heck are we doing? <laughs> Losing is what we're doing. Anywho, let's take a quick break. The YouTube live chat poll for today. I cannot wait. And I've already seen some of the comments. And I was like, I I wrote this question for specific people. How is Trump faring in his legal challenges? Is he winning or is he losing? What do you think? You're going to want to vote in this one because... I've already seen quite a few of the responses coming in, and we're going to share some of those with you when you come back. Stick around. We'll get Ryan Wiggins back in the studio here in just a minute. How is Trump faring in his legal challenges? Annie Fry YouTube channel, live chat poll. Go vote. We'll be right back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can and overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Mitch McConnell to go. I think it is. So Ted Cruz, pretty quick uh, quip right there. Mitch McConnell responds. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz had a press conference around noon today, said that you shouldn't have, have even tried to negotiate with Democrats, said this bill was designed to fail, and that it's time for you to step down as GOP leader. What's your response to that? I think we can all agree that Senator Cruz is not a fan. So Mitch McConnell, it doesn't seem as though he's shocked and taken aback by uh, this probably not getting a Valentine from Ted Cruz next week. The leadership on the Republican Party for the Republican Party right now is really on the cusp. There is news that circulated last night that Ronna McDaniel, who is the chairwoman of the RNC, is going to be stepping down. And you got to ask yourself in an election year, with that being the case right now, what ends up happening next with the Republican Party? A lot of people have criticism for Ronna McDaniel, and I understand the criticism. I, I would I would probably co-sign the criticism there, but it makes me wonder if the RNC chairperson, what kind of effect do they have? My, my understanding is they largely decide where money goes. Money comes in, who are we backing? Is that right? Well, yeah, and I think they prioritize, you know, the methods by which it's going to be spent and... <laughs> Um, you know, what their focus is going to be. But I think you, the money is the main thing for sure. Right. And it's not just determining where it's going to go. It's actually getting it in, too. It's it's raising, raising it. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy for RNC chairperson. Ooh. Everybody I, I, talks about how, what would you not like about Kevin McCarthy? I don't know. I just don't know if he I would want to know a lot more about why he was getting that job before I would say, yeah, that sounds good. Everybody says he's a master at fundraising. OK. Um I would want to know what his priorities are that were different than Ronna McDaniels, I guess, before I would say. Like yeah. what? Um, she did not seem to be somebody who focused as much. At least this is what they said about her. Again, don't know Ronna McDaniel. Uh, I see interviews with her. What they said was that she didn't focus as much on the ground game and the shifting of the way votes are collected. And I don't know whether Kevin McCarthy would do that either. I just... I just want to know what their priorities are. CNN reports Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel has offered to leave her position following the South Carolina primary later this month to allow former President Donald Trump to install his own party chair. Two party advisors told CNN she has also discussed those plans with Trump, according to a person uh, who is familiar. RNC spokesperson Keith Shipper told CNN in a statement Tuesday night that, quote, nothing has changed. This will be decided after South Carolina. The New York, New York Times was first to report on McDaniel's future. McDaniel's offer to resign comes as tensions between Trump, the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, and the RNC have heightened in recent days. And as the former president's team has begun quietly floating names to replace her, CNN reported earlier Tuesday that North Carolina Republican Party Chairman Michael Watley and South Carolina Republican Party Chairman Drew McKissick are among the names being floated by Trump's team, according to two sources with knowledge of internal discussions. Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump got along, mm -hmm. from what I understand. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with Kevin McCarthy doing that. I don't see why, you know, I never had a problem with Kevin McCarthy beforehand. I know he got a lot of like, he's a rhino and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, he was trying to be the Speaker of the House with a razor thin majority. Heard and, the cats. Yep. And as we see, it's not an easy job. It really pisses me off that Matt Gates is out there calling him selfish and arrogant. Yes. That makes me mad. I mean, you want to talk about lack of honor among thieves here. It's so gross. Matt Gates, I, I do I feel like that was such a selfish endeavor on Matt mm. Gates's part. There was no element of that that I thought made the House majority stronger, made the Republican Party better, or served the people who are being represented in that capacity due to Matt Gates's decision. The yeah. fact that Gates is still talking about Kevin McCarthy being in the current negotiations, which he's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless he's some background figure that we're not aware of. But the fact that he's still talking about him is very reminiscent of yesterday Joe Biden mentioning Trump every time he talks about the border. It, no, it, this is different, though, because Kevin McCarthy left left his term early. And if Kevin McCarthy would have been there when they voted to oust uh, or to impeach Mayorkas... Yeah. That his absence is directly reflected in current news. Okay, okay, but the the fact that he's still pretty hung up on Kevin McCarthy, and has been hung up on Kevin McCarthy for a long, long time, it it, it just it's it's a little weird. It's like TDS MDS. There's there's something personal there that's beyond just the political moment. Well, and Matt Gates. I mean, I can play the clip again. Matt Gates said it in the context of George Santos and Kevin McCarthy. It wasn't like it was just a Kevin McCarthy. Andrew As I'm Governor. watching that board and it's 215 to 215, I have never missed George Santos more. Like, in what irony that the <laughs> New York Republicans who drove Santos out of Congress, who are watching the children in their state being driven out of schools so that those schools can become migrant housing centers, that now we don't get to execute on an impeachment trial of Mayorkas because they threw George Santos out. I also wondered, like, wouldn't it have been nice to still have Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives? Never thought you'd hear me say that. But Kevin McCarthy, after being dislodged as speaker, took his marbles and went home. He would have been a reliable vote for impeachment. But if he wasn't speaker, he wasn't willing to stick around. And I think that the the errant expulsion of Santos and the abject selfishness of Kevin McCarthy ah! contributed to this result as much as the three Republican members who, who voted no sincere. I don't really care about criticisms, but don't criticize other people for what you are yourself. <laughs> no kidding. That's what that's. I think that's the line that he crosses there because he's making a point with the Santos thing. He does have a point with the fact yeah. that Kevin McCarthy isn't there. But Kevin McCarthy didn't choose to put himself in the position where I I have seen this with my own eyes, where people who are involved in leadership leaderships gets turned over. You're still hanging around. Your presence can cause a divide that is insurmountable mm-hmm. because. While you're there, if you're some sort of emeritus person, there are people who have loyalty to you where they're still going to go, like, you're trying to function as a new body with a new leadership, and you don't mean any disrespect necessarily to the new leadership. Kevin McCarthy, if he's always there and people are like, well, first let me consult with Kevin McCarthy out of respect to him, then it causes more of a divide. None of this would have happened if it weren't for Matt Gates. <laughs> I don't even know if George George Santos would probably still be there if, if if Kevin McCarthy were there. That's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Man, <laughs> what? Yeah, why? I'm still. Why are we? Why do we hate Kevin McCarthy so much? 
What what is what is the rhino about Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, he's a California Republican, but they don't like him because he's not a like free. Well, he's like a founding member of the Freedom Caucus. He the the thing about Kevin McCarthy that people don't like is that he would have to make deals. Yeah. To bring this side of the Republican Party in the House and this side of the Republican Party in the House together to get stuff done. Somebody has to do that. And you've seen Mike Johnson be in the position right now where he's had to do the same kind of things and he gets criticized for it. And you've got to have the skin thick enough to take that criticism. Another thing about Nancy Pelosi being the speaker for her party, the reason why, to me, she's a brilliant person to put in a speaker, first of all, because she is as ruthless as it gets, is that she's not going to get voted out for being psycho-liberal. She's in San Francisco. She's good. They're going to keep sending her back and propping her up, obviously, until, I don't know what the limitations are for the Democratic Party, honestly. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) It's not like she's going to take a hard vote or a hard stand against something that goes against one wing of the Democratic Party, and San Francisco is going to say, we're going to hold you accountable for that, and we're not sending you back. She's been primaried before, and she's not hurt. Nope. Kevin McCarthy, that's the most Republican district in California. He was safe in that regard as well. I'm pretty sure Mike Johnson is fine. The problem is, you guys didn't have the red wave that you needed to have to have the majority to do the things that you wanted to do, where you can effectively, within your caucus, Permit people to vote against things because it's what's best for if someone takes a hard vote and it goes against what the Republican Party is saying because that person comes from a purple district, voted Republican down ballot, but maybe didn't like Donald Trump. And so they voted for Biden for the presidency. Those people can't just go be in lockstep because it's not a reflection of their constituents, which means those people are in Congress representing their people, not the Republican Party. Which brings us back to the other question. What does the Republican Party even represent? Somebody said, I, well, I had said last night, I was talking with uh, Chris, a co- regular commenter and person on Twitter, who was tweeting with us, and he was talking about Vivek Ramaswamy. And I said, would Vivek be an, interest, an interesting pick for, like, RNC chair? Can you imagine what he would do? I feel like it's probably beneath him, but it might be a good hobby for him. If Vivek were to uh, become the RNC chair, and he said, you know, Vivek was a registered libertarian two cycles ago, here's a question What was the Republican Party two cycles ago compared to where they are right now? The party has evolved. Donald Trump has drastically changed his party. uh, And I think that people are refining now what Trump has Kool-Aid manned into the Republican Party and changed it from the old establishment way to a populist version of it. But I don't think that the all populist version of the Republican Party is what most voters want. I think it's I think it's a refined version of populist politics versus a a refined or shall I say shiny and polished establishment Republican Party. But it's definitely changed. I don't know. I don't know what it is that we want. It sounds like Ronald McDaniel is potentially out and it'll be up to Donald Trump to work that out with her. Uh, But clearly there is uh, trouble in I wouldn't even call paradise. Let's be honest. No, it's not paradise. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Wiggins America, what you got for us? Uh, I have some uh, general money lessons that either you've already learned or you're about to. Uh, There are ways to make sure that you are handling your money well. It's almost like philosophies about how to approach money. All right. Well, that with Wiggins America on the Annie Fry Show when we come back. And the YouTube live chat poll, how is Trump faring in his legal challenges? Is he winning or losing? 
Annie Fry YouTube channel. Go vote Wiggins America when we come back. Welcome back to the Annie Fry Show. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. Uh, the YouTube live chat poll for today. How is Trump faring in his legal challenges? Is he winning or losing? Go to the Annie Fry YouTube channel and vote. It is Wiggins America time. Wiggins! Oh! Wiggins! What I have for you here is key money lessons to learn by 18, but that you could use for the rest of your life. They're just saying at CNBC that you need to learn these by the time you're 18 because that's when you got to start making your big money decisions. So I want to see whether or not... So if we not, didn't do this by the time we're 18, we're screwed? No, I think that you could still latch on to these at any time. But the earlier you adopt them, the more likely you are to make good financial decisions that will impact you for the rest of your life. So I'm going to read a couple of them to you here. I want to know whether you have adopted this as a uh, skill in your life or, or a, a philosophy or whether you have not or even if you disagree with it. Uh, the first one, learn how to negotiate. The sooner you master the art of negotiating, the better off you'll be. When it comes to both money coming in, like your salary, and money going out, like your rent, you could be putting yourself in a better position simply by asking for a better deal, even though it can be intimidating to negotiate. Do you feel like this is a skill that you either have or have developed? Yeah, I'm a negotiator. I can handle that. <laughs> kind of figured you were. Uh, well, I've thought I was a good negotiator in the past, and like I negotiated a pickup truck down from twelve hundred to six hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's an good. old one, but then I also negotiated a price up on a lunchbox in a bundle deal, and I didn't do well on that one. Wait, actually. wait, describe <laughs> yeah. this. So you were so, buying a lunchbox, and yeah, they yeah, my you, wife was you buying. Talked you up. Yeah, I talked me into it. So my wife, I love this story. My wife and I <laughs> went. To, this. We went to a rummage sale. And uh, she she found this backpack purse that she really likes. She's going to call it her uh, her theme park bag because it's great for that. And I was like, and I need a new lunchbox. Well, I found a lunchbox. Well, there was no sticker on it. Well, I figured I'll offer him a dollar for this and the plus the $5 for the bag. I'll give you $6 for total. And the lady's like, sure, that works. That's great for me. And then we got going and I started looking. Well, stuck on the bottom of it was a 50 cent sticker on the lunchbox. So I paid 50 <laughs> I paid 100% more for the lunchbox than what they had up there. So I didn't do good on that one. So are you a negotiator, Leah? Or is this a talent that you want to have? I guess I want to have it. When you were given the question and all that, I'm like, oh, boy, this might not have been a good segment for me to come in on because <laughs> I doubt I'm very good with anything money related, Well, that's okay. So. We still would like to know because if I, you're yeah. like, well, I want to get better at that, that's fine too. Um, I personally used to haggle everything that I could possibly haggle to the point of that it was just a sport. And the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, I don't even have time to do this. But I still enjoy the process of a big buy because if you're talking about little things, I don't really care as much anymore. But, man, when you're buying a car or something, going in and knowing you have to negotiate, a lot of people are very intimidated by that. I, I kind of enjoy that process. Number two... Talk to everyone. This is from CNBC. Talk to everyone about money. The more you talk, the more comfortable you get. In the past, it was often frowned upon to talk about money, but that attitude has allowed financial problems like wages and things and lack of knowledge to persist. The more comfortable you are talking about money in no-stakes situations, the easier it will be for you to bring it up when it matters. No. <laughs> and I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah? No. I disagree with that as well. Uh, 
it goes back to the first one. If you want better wages, you figure out how to negotiate, and you negotiate your own better wages. You don't I'm not interested to... in other people. Yeah, I don't care wages. what they're making. I'm, I'm, I'm negotiating what is fair to me for doing said job. So, but it, should money be aside from what are you making? Should money be an off limits topic that you shouldn't be discussing, or you should not discuss it as well? Much? I don't see how how it would. Like, I don't see how you can separate what are you making from the premise of what that article is saying, because the article says this is allowed, you know, wages, wage issues to persist. Yeah. So I don't think you can separate that. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, whenever you say money, you know, outside of like, oh, here are my savings plans. No, nobody has a right to know what my what I'm yeah, doing. It's nobody's with business. It, it, it institutionalizes the idea that your your money situation is connected to your value as a person. It's not any, not, not anyone's business. People should value for who you are, not what you have. Leah? Uh, I mean, I guess if you're just, like, talking about money in general, it's fine. I agree, though. I don't think you should talk about what you're making. Well, here's where it leads to. I put this one next on purpose. Okay. Advocate for yourself, and if you don't understand something, ask. So this is really opening up more conversations about money. You'll get better with money the sooner you get comfortable asking questions about it. You can't improve your current situation if you don't know why you're in it in the first place. Agree? Disagree? I agree. Okay. Because that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm headed with this thing, is those two topics together. I'm like, yeah, this should be an open conversation. Yeah, but not to everybody. Not yeah. with everybody. Yeah. At, going outside into your, into your uh, office and bringing up the topic <laughs> of money to everybody is going to cause a ton of problems. Anybody who thinks it's like, that is something that benefits the collective in a way that an advocate for equity might advocate for, but I'm not in it for everybody. I'm in it for me and for my family. And if you have a question about what's a responsible amount of money to set aside and sacrifice in my paycheck now for my retirement that is going to be 30 years away or whatever it might be, there are people who are experts who you should definitely ask the questions to if you don't know the answers to. But just talking about money to everybody is... Not advised, in my opinion, but you do you. How about this one? Find free or low-cost hobbies and activities you enjoy, especially while you're learning to manage money, if you're younger, of course, and beginning to build wealth. It's a good idea to find free or low-cost activities that you like, such as spending time outdoors, nature, volunteering, writing, sports, or making art. What they're saying is spend within your means. I think so. That's kind of what they're saying. But they, they're wanting you to find things that you can still enjoy because if you're, if you're spending within your means but you're doing it in such a disciplined way that you're going to burn yourself out doing it, they're saying that it won't last. So find things that you can enjoy but that don't cost you so much. Well, I think that the emphasis on your personal satisfaction and enjoyment directly connected to your money, if you're spending within your means and you're unhappy because you, your means don't extend far enough, it also doesn't matter if you're happy. You should still spend within your means. <laughs> That's very true. I, I mean, it's it. it you, can, you can connect personal enjoyment with your finances. And, you know, money may not be able to buy happiness, but it gets you pretty close. If you spend within your means, what does Dave Ramsey say? Live like... Live like no other so you can live like no other. Yes. I mean, that's what that's about. If, you're, if you have to sacrifice in your bum because you can't take the... Uh, bridesmaid trip to Vegas and drop $4,000 on some bachelorette party because you're 20 years old and, and they decided that this is my day and it's important and you say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. That's If you don't enjoy saying that, that doesn't mean you should say that you can go. 
<laughs> uh, is that something that you have done though? Have you found yourself choosing hobbies because, well, maybe I can't afford this, but I do have hobbies that I don't have to spend as much doing. My hobbies don't, I don't, I don't quantify them by dollars spent. No. I just know what I can spend and what I can't spend. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I'm working, like say, for example, a car, if I'm building or working on a car, I, I go, okay, I've reached my amount that I can spend on this this time. So then I don't build that part of the car yet. And I just wait and I budget and mm-hmm. I save. So yeah, it's, and we some like of these to, we like to travel to Florida, and yeah. I mean there are things that we don't do, other things that we don't do, so that we can travel to Florida. But I don't really. I mean, you just have the amount of money you have, and you don't yeah. have the amount of money you don't. Travel is my <clears throat> Achilles' heel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The older I get, the more I'm like, I want to do more traveling. Thankfully, I also do things like writing that don't involve any money, and maybe eventually could make me money. Uh, this is probably one that's a little bit more for the Gen Zer in the room, Leah. Identify your goals, values, and desires apart from your friends and social media. Is that something that you feel like you have been able to do? That you kind of have have your have your sights set on what you want in life, maybe financially, but that has that been influenced by your friends and kind of society, or is that something that you've you said, no, I'm going to do this on my own. Guess I'd say I'm doing it on my own. I mean, I guess my goals and stuff aren't really influenced by my friends. No, that's so. that's good. That's what this article okay. is saying. Yeah. You don't want to let that happen yeah. because it's so easy now to see what your friends are all doing and be like, oh man, if they're especially Fomo. vacations, yeah, if they're doing it, I, I kind of want to do that too. It's kind of what we were talking about. You got to be able to say no. And you have to be able to master that art almost. Well, my friends mostly consist of millennials, so they're more mature and have like more. Nobody's ever said that before. <laughs> <laughs> they That's have a very big day. Better, better jobs than I do, better paying jobs than I do. So I can't really compare myself to them anyway. So you almost had to, by necessity, be like, well, I just can't put myself yeah. in that category. Last one before we get to the top here. True wealth is more about more is about more than money. Obviously, but here's how they define that. It says financial experts and wealthy people alike tend to agree. If you can get yourself in a position where you're not worried about money because you have some wiggle room to do things that bring you joy, you're more likely to be happy and feel fulfilled. It's almost like that middle ground where you're not focused so much on money, but you have enough that you don't have to think about money. That is a sweet spot to me that is really where I'm I'm trying to get to. Yeah, if you go to the restaurant and you and you order what you want and you're not worried about the bill coming i mean breaking the bank i feed six people if we go out to eat and it's yeah. 85 dollars every time with tip it's yeah. it's wild uh if, if you get to the point where you can sit down and order it and it's 85 bucks and you're like okay you can't do it every night but you go out and you do that that's a good place to be we'll be right back get more at 971talk.com this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy Celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 